it's just impossible to say we're just not going to use power anymore. Mm-hmm. As soon as you do anything, you're, you're employing power. And so the question is, what does it look like to steward power well? It's not about, well, I'll have this resource in my toolbox that I'm never going to make use of. It's more about becoming the sort of person who is able to use power wisely. Mm. Continue this theological discussion in a car or in a jailhouse with the cops. Welcome to Everything Just Changed, a podcast where we envision a post-culture war church and equip leaders who just can't even anymore. Maybe you've listened to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast and at every turn, power seems to be abused in service to celebrity. Maybe you've even seen this dynamic up close. With leaders both in the church and outside it misusing power for improper ends, what are we to do as the church in the West? We're starting a new series on power because we believe that power by itself isn't evil. Rather, the question for us is how to use power well in life-giving and gospel-centered ways. I'm Bryce Hales, along with my co-host Brad Edwards. We're two pastors in the western U.S. We'll be your guides as we explore power and what the heck is going on in our world. Stay with us. So one of the things we've been wrestling with throughout this entire time we've been doing this podcast has been how in the world do we not just like survive the culture wars, but how do we chart a course for it? How do we navigate this in such a way that isn't just capitulating to or giving into the categories and presumptions that is being forced on us and the, the frankly exhausting back and forth that it's just not sustainable. One of the things that we've realized just in the many, many conversations we've had, whether it's you know with David French about polarization or Mark Sayers about virtualism or you know Michael Ware about politics, whatever it is that we're talking about, we've realized that there has been a common denominator in every single one of these topics that are also a, a potent subtext in the midst of the, our conversations as a culture, as a society, and that is power. And it doesn't matter which culture we're topic, topic we're talking about, whether it's gender and sexuality, whether it's politics, social justice, critical race theory, critical yeah. race, like, like masks, cultural and Marxism. Yeah. Masking and government overreach. What kind of choice we should have about our, on our bodies, whether that's abortion or the pandemic and that knife cuts both ways. Like it doesn't matter what we're talking about, a subtext that, that often most often does not get explicitly discussed or brought into the light is is power. Yeah. And I'm convinced one of the reasons why that that is the case, why this gets ignored is because the church has, has also largely neglected to disciple on it. Like we don't have a biblical framework. We actually don't even know where to start in a conversation like this. Like Bryce, you and I, we're, yeah. we're seminary trained pastors. And one of the reasons why we wanted to start with a, such a frankly, a, a volatile, risky topic, especially that transcends and, and is percolating throughout all of these culture war topics is because we're kind of at a loss too. This is not easy. Yeah. And we, we've have, we have a seminary degree and think about this all the time. So we have, we have two, we don't even share a seminary degree. We have multiple it, it, seminary degrees. Wow. Yeah. Grammar. Grammar yeah. is about power as well. Uh, 
this has left the church, honestly, this has left American citizens like woefully unprepared. And so what we're going to be doing in in working through this topic over the course of this kind of this mini series is we're going to be asking a lot of questions. Mm. And one of the kind of beginning observations that Bryce, you and I talked about in terms of like, okay, what is the problem here? Like how, what is, what has changed recently that has made an already challenging situation and, and dynamic just that much harder. And, and kind of here's where we landed, which is it used to be, and, and by used to be, I mean, you know, more than five-ish, six years ago, that there was a progressive end of the, of the spectrum in culture and in society that took a kind of an existential or an experiential subjective approach to power and, and truth. And like, in other words, our experience is what determines what is right and wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that was always in tension with a, a more conservative end of the spectrum, politically, spiritually, culturally, whatever, that said that there is actually a, a biblical norm or there is an at least an objective norm by which that should frame our experiences. A, and a moral approach to power. Absolutely. A moral yeah. I mean both are a moral approach approach to power, but we're deriving that moral approach from opposite directions. Mm. And and it's not that one or the other of these are true. It's that they this is part of the reason why it has always felt like we are talking past each other because our starting points are are often dramatically different. Hmm. It, it makes it really difficult to bridge that divide. Well, what happened in the last four to six years is that a, a third element has been laid over the top, and that is that there is a a kind of subset of the the kind of conservative end of the spectrum has kind of broken away from that approach to talking about power and also what is true and has adopted the more progressive experiential approach to determining that. And now it's just a shouting match of, no, my experience is more valid than yours. And any Mm. perceived attempt to articulate an alternative experience is seen as inherently uh, persecution or oppressive. Depending on your tribe, you're going to use different language to describe the same thing. Mm. But it has made that even more difficult and it's really interesting because I feel like even whether we're talking about social media, online, articles, journalism, those two kind of conservative approaches, even though they're very different, often get conflated and things are getting lost in in the conversation even mm-hmm. more than they were before. Yeah. And it, it feels like the church has just been kind of caught flat footed in the midst of this whole debate or or in some ways is kind of trying to be people trying to co-opt Christians into one side of the debate or other because we haven't really developed a robust understanding of an approach to power, what it is and how it's, how it's to be used appropriately. I think back to, I mean, I, you know, we've talked about this before. I grew up in evangelicalism. You didn't, but certainly in the, in the, in the church context that I grew up in, power was never discussed, but there was also this very clear idea that like big equals good. Hmm. And, and, and I think part of that was this idea that, well, we, we're accumulating this power. We're not going to call it power. We're, we're mm-hmm. sort of embarrassed about the concept of power. The proof's so, in the pudding. Yeah, but we're not going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But man, the fact that we've got a large church is culturally significant, which is another word for powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, or even this idea of like... Influence. 
Yeah, or like that that celebrity or that sports figure or that musician, like people might not know it, but they're actually Christians. <laughs> right? Like that was such a big part of like CCM evangelical subculture in the 80s and 90s. And it was this like, we're not going to call it power, but mm. we're kind of quietly accumulating power. Man. And now with just in the in the face of me too church too and everything else that has come out in the last you know like you said five or six years it's like that subtly accumulating power without acknowledging what it is is really starting to haunt the church and i would say especially like large church evangelicalism well and i would i would even just to build on that a little bit i would say that pre especially you know 2000 turn of the millennium i think we the the one place that we actually talked about power was in politics right mm. the the moral majority yeah kind of brought together fundamentalism which is i'm sure we will talk about this more uh which is kind of obsessed with power almost as a as a hermeneutic and you can have a secular fundamentalism and a religious fundamentalism those are both mm-hmm. very possible but it married that to evangelicalism and brought in assumptions about how we talk about power into the church because we didn't have any categories existing for it to fit into and that gets this bigger thing and this is why like whether we're talking culturally socially politically historically speaking western culture is is a typically more black and white, moral-focused, guilt-oriented culture. What I mean by that is, is just our framework doesn't allow for a whole lot of shades of gray. It's just a foundational kind of cultural assumption that we've, we've built our society on. That's the guilt-forgiveness culture of the West, right? But what we see in Scripture— <laughs> We see moral dimensions to power, to to everything. But we also see a category that in the West, we are absolutely woefully deficient in. We have, our, our um, muscles are not just anemic, they are atrophied in this, and that is wisdom, right? Like, let me, let me just use this example. How, how many of you listening have heard a pastor preach through Proverbs and not have a single sermon be about politics? Hmm. When you're reading, when you're talking about doing a devotional, who's like, you know what you should read? You should read Proverbs. We don't really know what to do culturally totally, with totally. wisdom literature and scripture, but there are I've all never, of these I've never untapped resources. through the book of Proverbs, just to be clear. Me <laughs> or, or like actually. a series on it, even, not not even like the whole thing. And it probably won't be in the next year either. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like we need to get through this <laughs> stupid pandemic. But that, that like kind of like, oh God, I, that pit in my stomach as we're sitting here talking about of conviction is also born out of like the the anxiety around that is like that's going to take a lot of work that's because we don't have muscles trained for this and so like as we were talking and brainstorming about like okay what are the dimensions or vehicles of power what how how is this like how can we even start off in a conversation around this topic without instantly just getting like lost in the weeds. And, and that's the challenge. And, and, and kind of our conviction and our, our, what we're convinced is, is the case is we really and especially need to explore this through the lens of wisdom. Yeah, we've, we've lost the, the concept of wisdom. And so it makes it really hard to discuss the issue of power. One of the things 
you know, even just thinking about what I was just saying about like big church evangelicalism, I I think there's almost this assumption of like, you can trust us. Like Hmm. we're we're not going to call it power because it feels kind of gross, but we're sort of quietly accumulating power and you can trust us to make these decisions. And then what has been exposed is in a lot of cases, you couldn't trust us to make those decisions. Hmm. You know, the people that, that we thought were trustworthy to make some of these decisions were, were not trustworthy. And now, especially in light of social media, it's so easy to go the other direction and point the finger and, and sort of, and so what, what the, what the progressive kind of pushback has almost done is say all power is inherently evil. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to unmask it for what it is. And so often I think what's happening is we were talking about the epistemological approach to this. What do we do when we, when we have one side kind of arguing in kind of objective categories and the other side saying, well, actually this is my experience. And so my experience trumps your objective categories. Hmm. How do we not just descend into relativism and everybody sort of saying, well, this is my perspective and so you have to listen to me and I've been abused by powerful people in these situations. And then the kind of more conservative side responding, actually, that's not a thing. This isn't happening. Just go away. We don't, we're mm-hmm. not going to have this conversation. And it, it just struck me as we were talking about this um, last week, Brad, that we actually have a pretty good framework, I think, for understanding how to, how to approach this. So John Frame is a theologian who has developed an approach called triperspectivalism. Oh, yeah. And triperspectivalism, in summary, is, is saying this, okay? Because God is God and we are not God, we are finite, and so we can only know things through our limited perspective, through a perspective of one sort or another. God is omniscient, and he knows everything from every perspective. So John Frame talks about if I'm typing on my computer, I have a perspective of what I'm doing and God has a perspective. He can see me. But if there was a fly in the room watching me type on my computer, that fly would have a different perspective on what I'm doing. And God knows not just his perspective and my perspective, but he can see this from the fly's perspective. I mean, it's, you know, theologians and philosophers often reach for interesting illustrations, right? But because God is omniscient, he knows everything from every perspective, but I can only know the world from the perspective of my body and my mind. Mm-hmm. I can't know the perspective. I, I can't know about something from another perspective, right? So, but what does that mean? Does that mean that your pers- everybody's perspective is as good as anyone else's? If I've experienced abuse or the abuse of power, then my perspective is valid and if somebody's responding and saying, no, that didn't happen in the way that you're describing, what are we left with? Are we just left with everything goes, everybody's perspective is, is as good as another. And triperspectivalism says, in general, there are three approaches to knowledge. So there's the normative perspective, which is kind of what you described as the black and white, what is objectively true there is the existential, meaning what have I experienced? But there's also the situational, which is talking about given this situation, 
what should I do? I, I um, was doing a little background reading on this and I, I came across somebody using a great illustration of how important the, the situational perspective is. He was saying that imagine a scenario that a, um, the janitor at a hospital puts on scrubs, walks into the a maternity ward and delivers a baby. That would be wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And that person would probably get arrested and that person would go to jail, right? You can imagine the headlines of like janitor delivers baby and gets 25 years in jail, right? Okay. But imagine a slightly different situation where that janitor becomes a hero. If that janitor is driving home from working at the hospital and there's a car stopped on the side and he pulls over to help and ends up delivering a baby. Well, and then he's now the hero of the story, mm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So exact same people, exact same actions, different situation actually dramatically changes the perspective on mm. was this an appropriate or a totally inappropriate thing to do? Would you would you uh, kind of summarize that as just like the the intersection and the combination of these dimensions that are like, okay, normative equals spiritual, transcendent, existential is the relational side of of knowledge and knowing your power and then there's the the situational which is like circumstance and maybe maybe even like maybe you're not saying this but like that seems like of the three to be the most like concrete and embodied of mm-hmm. the three mm-hmm. not necessarily embodied in like that relational kind of communal sense but like in the like nuts and bolts of like how the heck did we get here context yeah, yeah. etc i mean you could talk about the normative as the kind of the head you know we talk about the head the heart and the hands mm-hmm. so the normative is the head of, of like what what is what is what what do i need to know here what do i need to how should i think about this yeah the yeah heart the existential is how do i feel about this right mm. and and those two are super easy to see especially like on Twitter where you've got like the heads yelling at the hearts and the hearts yelling back at the heads, but the oh, hands so often get, get lost. This, the, what, what do we do here and how do we navigate this? So this is one of the, the you, you are like just connecting some dots for me because one of the things I've been thinking a lot about, especially in terms of my own like engagement on, on something like Twitter is, you know, just how hard it is in that medium to keep in mind that when someone is stating a opinion or a propositional truth, it is shaped and formed by the context they're in. And the, yeah. when somebody, like the more someone is vehement and even impassioned in ways that like may feel like an overreach, for example, talking about the church to movement or something like Overstatement. Anytime I I, I see overstatement, I click on that person's profile and nine times out of 10, they are like their location is shown to be in a context that is the opposite generally of what they're saying. Hmm. And, and, and just how much our, our context, our situational knowledge of a given mm-hmm. topic is shaped by that in ways that when it gets to Twitter, it becomes disconnected and disembodied. disembodied. And so now as we're talking, like, just, just in thinking through just culturally why it feels like this feels harder and, and we, I feel more crazy, the primary marketplace of ideas where these things are discussed is on a medium that by definition is disembodied and doesn't mm-hmm. even have an opportunity for the situational side to get brought in without significant effort and intentionality. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I, I think, and where we want to go with this is, is the need to recover wisdom as we think about, and even as we are more conscious of our exercise of power, 
because, mm. you know, they're, they're, again, to go back to what I said, there, there's kind of the, the normative perspective playing out that conservatives often want to adopt of saying, like, we're not going to talk about power because it's yucky, but just trust us. Mm. And then the, the existential the, on the more progressive end of the spectrum of saying, actually, my experience is such that I have been abused. And so I'm distrustful of anybody's use of power whatsoever. To say that power can just go away, I mean, you can't. And I mean, we're probably going to get into this in future episodes, but like, this is why Nietzsche said that, you know, all, all truth claims are, are power grabs. Including and so, <laughs> right. Including that one. Right. And so that, that's the problem with, with the, the person who says, well, I've been abused. So therefore I'm distrustful of anybody in a position of power or authority. You've just put yourself in a position of power and authority and it doesn't invalidate your experience, but it says that, well, you you still have power. So you, you can't say, okay, because I've been abused, everybody else has to stop using power. Mm-hmm. So I'm the only one left with it. Yeah. It's not possible. It's like saying, it's like telling, you know, someone stop breathing. Like you, right. you can't actually. And so, but we treat it as this kind of finite resource that it becomes this kind of competition or argument over like who has enough and how much is enough and what does equality look like in, in light of that. And, and I want to be really, really explicitly clear that like, uh, you know, the example you just used, Bryce, was was around someone who has been a victim of an abuse of power yeah. in ways that we would be like, uh, let's just assume that that is actually what happened in the case and it's true. Like, like that's actually part of the problem. Like we're, we're actually not questioning the premise enough by saying we just need to change the, the hierarchy of power or we need to level the playing field. That actually isn't enough. We actually need to ask the question, what is the purpose of power? Mm-hmm. Like what, why is it something that is to be a little redundant, like so powerful? Like how do we, what is our responsibility? And I think this is where that, that wisdom component of that situational part of the triangle you just painted is so important because if you if you don't operate with a situational perspective as part of it, you just get normative and existential. And then it just becomes basically black or white and a, a, a moralism game, game isn't even the right word, a moralism war, a culture war between yeah. however many yeah. sides are represented. But when you introduce yeah. the, the, the situational side, the question then is not so much what is right or wrong. It is also what blesses. It's language and, and, and an approach and a perspective that can get us to stewardship. Yeah, which it's I, about, exactly. It's about stewardship. And so it, it's just impossible to say we're just not going to use power anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, as soon as you do anything, you're, you're employing power. And so the question is, what does it look like to steward power well? And I think the, the way we have to answer that is actually with the issue of discipleship and formation, hmm. because stewardship implies that you can steward something, right? And so it's not about, well, I'll have this resource in my toolbox that I'm never going to make use of. It's more about becoming the sort of person who is able to use power wisely, hmm. If, if you're like, well, that seems like a bit of a stretch or like, how did you get to stewardship from there? It, when you start to look through scripture with this lens, 
you start to see it everywhere, mm. right? Like it doesn't talk, it doesn't matter what we're talking about, whether we're talking about God's love and grace that is to be steward, stewarded, welcome. We call that the great commission. You know, when we talk about the gift of children, okay, mm. that's to be stewarded cultural mandate, Genesis one and fill the earth and subdue it. Like stewardship is the covenantal responsibility of all people. Let's just use an example here of, of like the whole climate change debate, right? This is another area where there, it's, it's actually a conversation about power. And many, on, many evangelicals approach this from a non-biblical, unbiblical way of approaching it. It's to say climate change isn't a thing. Our influence doesn't matter. We don't have any influence. We don't have any power over creation. That's not a thing. But the approach actually is to say, well, it sh- maybe it shouldn't dictate what we do in ways that are detrimental to human flourishing, but all of creation is a resource that God has said, as my image bears, you were called to steward for the flourishing of not just humanity, but also creation. See, in there, that what I just articulated was the normative side, yeah. but then existential side is that part of like human flourishing and like what are the impacts of telling a third world country you don't get to have an industrial revolution that we did in order to reach the techno- technological yeah. place of being able to have sustainable energy. You just have to like figure it out. That's mm-hmm. not actually valid, but there's a, that situational side that the changes the like, conversation. Yeah, what does it look like to actually do this in a way that is responsible? So it doesn't require us to pick one person's perspective as yeah. true over and against another. Yeah. It can be valid and not, it doesn't have to be true. So the question then I think when it comes to, to the, the concept of power in general is not then like, are we going to employ power or are we not going to employ power? It's more, how do we become the sorts of people who can be trusted with power and can use, can steward power wisely? Yeah. And I, I love the, that you brought in formation to that because it is the practice. Maybe, maybe this isn't quite the same, the right wording, but it is the spiritual discipline of stewarding a resource, power in particular, that ends up forming and shaping us, when, especially when we do it in community. Mm-hmm. And that formation produces the integrity of the character that yes. makes us more worthy of, yeah. of uh, more capable, equipped, and trustworthy uh, of, of exercising power because it's informed by experience, existential, that has been enacted out and is not just conceptual or normative, but has actually been executed and implemented in a way that is wise and, and builds on that. So it becomes this, this integrity uh, cycle that mm. builds on itself within the church. It is empowered by the spirit. It is fueled by the gospel and guided by the gospel. But it's only if like we're, we're, we're just we're doing a back and forth and not a, a feedback loop that builds on itself if we don't reintroduce the situational side of, of this conversation. Yeah. So maybe a, a good way to like really pinpoint the, the mindset shift that we are, we are going for and we are hoping to, to take us all and, and ourselves journey through over the course of this miniseries mini is to move from Lord Acton to Peter Parker. And here's, here's what I mean by that, right? Even if you don't know who Lord Acton is, you probably know one of his most frequently quoted, uh, something he said that has been most frequently quoted, and that is that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. This is a perspective that 
absolutely has some truth to it, but it sees power through this lens of only the normative and existential and not also mm-hmm. the situational. Lord Acton might disagree with me on that. He can't because he's dead. Uh, but, <laughs> but that is how we employ that quote. What I'm talking about us moving toward is, uh, well, I guess it's not even necessarily Peter Parker. It's more his, his uncle who said that with great power comes great responsibility. Mm. That is an yeah. articulation of stewardship. Yeah. And all of Spider-Man is remarkably Christian in its situational ethic uh, in that there oh, is, gosh. there oh, are gosh. these, uh, come on, come on. <laughs> hey, we can go Marvel versus DC if you want. But, uh, but, but seriously, there is a, there is a, a, a humility required and also produced in the wrestling with the normative, the existential and the situational aspects of power that leads us to that that conviction that with great power comes great responsibility. And that is the, that is the Christian responsibility. Yeah, and so what we're going to do in this series is this. We're on a journey, and we want to invite you to come with us, where we're just asking the question of how, how do we think about power? How do we think about power in a Christian way? And how do we become the sorts of people who can wisely steward the power that God has entrusted with us in, in our you know spheres of influence? We're really just bringing a bunch of questions to this topic. We don't know the answers. So next week, we're going to be back where Brad and I are just going to kind of lay on the line. These are the questions that we're bringing to this conversation. And then over the next couple of months, we are going to have a series of conversations with authors and experts around various topics. And we would love to include your questions as well. Reach out to us. Let us know what questions you've got. It's going to be a fun journey. We haven't really done anything quite like this before. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing where this goes. Looking forward to and also a little bit afraid. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So please join us for that. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And if you're liking what you're hearing here, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us share what we're doing on the podcast with more people. I'm Bryce Hales with Brad Edwards. Our theme music was recorded by Danny Rankin, who also designed our logo. Nathan Michelle edits our podcast. We'll be back next week equipping leaders who just can't even anymore on Everything Just Changed. Everything Just Changed.